there is there is a couple of things uh, that uh, you really need to be aware of uh, today. And I want to take you through them. If you'll give me 25 minutes today, uh, I promise you, you're going to get more out of those 25 minutes than anything else you can do today. Let me tell you about something that is happening with the banks and the Federal Reserve that uh, nobody is talking about. Yeah, they're talking about it on CNBC, but they're talking about it in a way that it doesn't matter to you. This matters a lot. On Tuesday, this week, the Federal Reserve announced that it would offer banks an overnight repo operation. Now, repo is Wall Street jargon for repurchase agreement. Now, when's the last time the Federal Reserve was repurchasing things from banks? Do you remember? It was TARP. It allowed the Federal Reserve to go in and buy, with your money, go and buy different assets that were failing. Now, repo is a mechanism for short-term, generally a one-day loan. This is something that the banks, um, they have to have a certain amount of cash in the bank overnight. And so sometimes they'll just put assets up for sale and they'll say, we need the money for the overnight. And then the next day they repurchase uh, the same asset back. Now, during the Tuesday repo operation, the Fed pledged $55 billion worth of funds available to the banks. And the banks could sell the Fed their assets. Now, they were selling mortgage-backed security uh, securities or U.S. Treasury bonds, and that way the banks would have the cash. On Tuesday, the repo was oversubscribed by more than $5 billion. That means the bank showed up asking for cash, more cash than the Fed thought that they would even need and that number was out by $5 billion. And so they thought, okay, well, there might be a bigger problem here. So Wednesday, now remember, they haven't done this once in 10 years. They haven't done this since the collapse of the market. So the next day, Wednesday, they did it twice, or they did it a second time. This time they said, okay, we're going to come to the table with $75 billion. So if anybody needs money tonight, we'll, we have $75 billion. Well, this time, the banks showed up and they needed an additional $12 billion over the 75 Now, yesterday, the Fed chairman, Powell, he announced a quarter point cut in the, uh, in the interest rate. So he's lowering the interest rate, and we're going to have to get to that at some point. But he also said they'd do another round of repos last night for another $75 billion. So they haven't done this since 2008. They've done it now three days in a row. That tells you something is wrong. This is the first time since 2009 the Federal Reserve have stepped into the banking, sec- in, in, in banking sector and offered cash. Second, the amount is really significant. The banking sector just asked the Federal Reserve to inject $200 billion into the banks for just operating capital. 
That's what this is, is operating capital. Overnight lending is bank to bank usually, and it runs a few billion dollars a day across the banking sector. So, you know, Bank of America can call JP Morgan and say, hey, can you just uh, can you just I want to swap some assets for some cash. Do you have some extra cash that you don't need tonight just to make sure that, you know, we're stable overnight? And usually it's bank to bank. This is the banks calling the other banks and the banks are like, I don't have any money. I'm going myself to the Fed. Now, the third reason the Fed stepped in here was to control the interest rates and ensure that the Fed's target interest rate of 2% was maintained. Now, since the banks lend money to each other all the time, Bank A needs some cash on hand to cover a given market position or to ensure it meets its cash reserve requirement set by the federal government or the Fed. So Bank B agrees to lend the money by purchasing the assets from Bank A with an agreement that Bank A will buy those same assets back at a future date, most likely in the morning, at the same price plus a fee. The banks do this all the time. And they do it at the Fed's interest rate, their target interest rate. As of yesterday, that was 1.75%. Now, the funny thing about the free market is the free market will tell you what's really going on. So what is the price of money right now with the banks? The Federal Reserve says it should be 1.75%. That's the interest that they would pay to borrow money. However, the interest rates at the bank due to the free market, where the banks were like, look, I don't have the money. How much more? How out of whack was the 1.75 set by the Fed? It was only off by 500%. They were asking 10% fees to loan to the other bank for sometimes 12 to 18 hours. So that's why the Fed stepped in, because they're like, whoa, 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 what is going on here? This is a sign that the banks are very risk-averse, much more risk-averse than the Fed thinks they should be. Now, if the hairs aren't standing up on the back of your neck yet, they should be. This sort of exercise is exactly what happened to Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns in 2007. But it's happening with now the only six banks that we have. The Fed stepping into the market to give more cash unannounced three days in a row screams something is very wrong. There is a massive lack of cash at hand. We're also already in a very loose and cheap money environment with really super low interest rates and trillions in cash that has just been printed and injected in the market by the way of quantitative easing. The fact that the banks need $75 billion of extra cash every day, day after day, is a sign that something is dramatically wrong. Now... Here's what we don't know. We don't know why the banks need this much liquidity this quickly. It could be that they just are covering short positions on bonds or energy derivatives that need to be covered, given the recent spike in oil. Could be caused by Aramco. We don't know. 
It could be banks using capital in the short term to cover reserve requirements as part of a quarterly audit. Or it could be many of these banks have overseas investments in stocks and real estate and futures market that are now taking losses and they need cash to cover their margin calls overseas. The truth is, we won't know until the banks are audited sometime in the fourth quarter. Any time the Federal Reserve is stepping directly into markets to inject cash, something has gone very wrong somewhere in the gears of this very complex machine that grinds our economy. One day it could be administrative error or market timing of a set of bonds maturing and they need to be paid off or refinanced. Two days in a row indicates that it's a little more than that, probably covering some short or some, dare I say it, I hate to even use this word, derivative position that many investment banks were in in the crumbling of 2008. And they're in again. But three days in a row? $75 billion a day of new cash needed by U.S. banks? This hasn't happened since the financial crisis. That's banks telling us something is wrong. It's probably more than just a warning sign, more like an exit sign. Get off on this off-ramp. Now, here's what's worse. Trump suggests that we need to move the interest rate to zero or negative. This is the worst possible thing we could do right now. It would fuel more speculation and give a bigger bubble on Wall Street. It would also cause trillions of dollars that Europe is now sending our way. And they're putting it all in our stock market and our U.S. treasuries. If we move our interest rate to zero or negative, it would take all of that money and ship it back overseas into Europe and Asia and the Middle East. The more likely Fed response will be more bailouts overnight and nobody will talk about it without the formal quantitative easing. They just give this money to the banks. We are printing money to bail out the banks again. And the last time the banks were doing this to shore up their balance sheets was 2008. It was a warning sign then that we talked about, and very few people recognized it as the time. I'm warning you again. Please recognize this warning signal this time around. Right there. So, uh, what do we do? Yeah, that's what Pat asked right when we, right when I went into the commercial. He just looked at me and went, "And so then what?" Um, I have been saying for a while, uh, get out of debt, pay your debt down, um, uh, reduce the footprint of your of your life. Um, we have another sign. You know, I talked to Mark Stanford, Sanford last night. And Mark, I, I got him on and I'm like, why are you running, dude? What are you doing? We are running against Elizabeth Warren. And uh, we don't need a challenge right now. 
Mm-hmm. And I I appreciate him. I really respect him. I like him. He was he was Cato's most conservative, fiscally conservative governor uh, in the United States. Um, he has stood for constitutional principles and he has stood against the debt like crazy. However, can we not split the party? Mm-hmm. Because if we do, Elizabeth Warren will be the next president of the United States. Almost every time uh, a sitting president is primaried, he loses the general election. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it weakens him, weakens him. Okay, so I talked to him yesterday. I had him on. I had him on television last night. You should watch it if you're a member of the Blaze TV. Watch it. Um, uh, and I, I tried for the first eight minutes. I'm like, what are you doing? Why would you do this? I mean, is mm. is trying to make a point, is that more important than winning the election? Would you agree Elizabeth Warren will be much worse? And he's like, oh, my gosh. He said, Glenn, I am going to vote for Donald Trump. And I'm like, then what are you doing? Right. And he said, and it took me about 15 minutes to really understand. And, and I think I really, I think I believe him. I just don't think he should be running for president. He should do it another way. Mm -hmm. Um, But he said, we must alert people. He said, no one in the Democratic Party, no one in the Republican Party, no one is even, there hasn't been the word deficit, debt, or economic catastrophe even mentioned by any of these guys. And he's like, Glenn, I am seeing the exact same signs of 2008. And we have to warn the American people. Now, I agree with him. I just wish he wouldn't be running against the president while doing it. Um, you know, and I talked to him and I said, you know, you, you, I saw a headline in the, in the um, New York Times. Donald Trump's uh, biggest nightmare or, or uh, you know, biggest foe, something like that. And I said it was about, you know, it's about you. Now, I didn't get anywhere in that article about fiscal responsibility and a coming economic collapse. What I got was, you are a big challenge to Donald Trump. And they're just using, I said, Mark, they will tear, if you were standing Mm. on the stage with 10 other Republicans, you might be the first one they tear apart. They're only holding you up to hurt Donald Trump. But he went into some stats and again, we can't kill the messenger. Um, we can question how he's, you know, what horse he's riding in on to deliver this Pony Express. It's um, the wrong horse. It's the wrong horse. It's the wrong horse. But we do have to talk about it. Um, there is, uh, there are some other signs, not just this, but there are some other signs uh, that he went into that I've done my research, and it's actually worse than what he thought. And every time, every time this one number gets out of balance, it's our GDP to household wealth, every time that number gets way out of balance, uh, we have a collapse. We have a real financial downturn, a big one. Uh, For instance, uh, 2001, the GDP to household was like 400%. That's way out of whack. Uh, that means corporations are making much more than households are. Uh, then in 2008, it was like 538 which percent, which was way out of whack. It's 
100% now GDP to household wealth. Never, ever before wow. have we seen this. Okay, we, didn't, we had never seen 400% in 2001. We had never seen 500% at 2008. It's 1,100% out of whack. A correction is coming and most likely a massive correction. Mm. So please be fiscally responsible, financially responsible, uh, and, uh, and prepare. Batten down the hatches. You're listening to Glenn Beck. Mm. Welcome to the program. So glad that you're here. Uh, there's a couple of stories that uh, just caught my eye. You remember if, uh, about six months ago when Bill Gates and everybody was coming out and saying, we've developed this new mosquito that we're going to release in the air and it's going to kill all mosquitoes. And I was like, right. don't yeah. do that. <laughs> you know, hey, here's an idea. You're not God. Stop screwing around with the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. they didn't. Uh, they uh, They decided to do it anyway. And the genetically modified mosquitoes that were designed to help population of mosquitoes decrease has actually uh, hatched super mosquitoes. That's great. (laughs) That's wonderful. Right. Right. I think this is kind of like the antibiotic thing. If if the antibiotics aren't finished and it doesn't finish the job, those germs that survive are even worse. (laughs) That's exactly what they've done now in Brazil. Uh, Apparently, the wild population of mosquitoes did uh, go down for a little while. And then it was right back up to where it was before, which was deadly. Uh, But now they're new super mosquitoes. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. What can super mosquitoes do? Are they Uh, able to leap tall buildings in a single mile? They are harder to kill. Oh, good. And they carry more deadly disease. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so don't worry about it. I'm telling you, we are going to wipe ourselves out uh, within the next 20 years. Stupidity. Just sheer Because, oh, you know what? I think we can do that. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't mean we should. Right. Stop doing that. We're not good with that concept. we're really not. We're not. And I don't understand it. You have DDT. Yeah. Why not use DDT? Uh, I think, you know, the original thing was when we banned it in the 60s. Yeah. Because of the song. Uh, (laughs) Because of the song. Big Yellow Taxi. Yeah. Do you remember that? I mean, there was a big movement and then Joni Mitchell wrote the song and then they sang Big Yellow Taxi, Paid Paradise, put up a parking lot. That that was about DDT? Hey, farmer, farmer, put down your DDT. I don't care about the I don't care about spots on my apples. Give me the birds and the bees, that kind of stuff. Well, it created this huge thing. Oh, and and then the book, uh what was the book called that was that was written about all that environmentalism in the early sixties? Uh, yeah, by the woman. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh so it created this hysteria about DDT. And and Joni Mitchell really had she played a part in that. Um and then so we banned it here. Later on they found out well, wait, DDT's not doing anything. It, it doesn't hurt anybody. That was... We're still not using mass it, Mass hysteria. Uh, let's bring it back. And M- they won't. Millions... They won't. Millions of people are dying because we stopped DDT. And because we banned it here, it was racist to allow Africa to use it, so we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't uh, deliver it to Africa so that they could kill mosquitoes. So now 2 million people a year die of malaria 
uh, because of mosquitoes in Africa, because we won't use Well, DDT. here's the good news. Here's the good news. Uh, Silicon Valley and, and, uh, and Bill Gates have used their money to kill off the mosquito population. Now, my question hmm. was at the time, now, mosquitoes are part of that whole circle of life thing that yeah. you've been talking about so much. You know, hey, don't let people kill animals. You know, mosquitoes are animals, too. They're insects, and they're part of that circle of life. And there's, like, uh, trillions of them. Trillions. Tri- little, literally yeah. trillions. Right. And so they're kind of hard to kill off. Right. And what happens, what happens just mm. to, I mean, excuse me, I do, I'm, I'm not a biological scientist, but what happens just to the bat population when mm. all the mosquitoes are gone? Right. And what ha- who eats the bat? What does the bat contribute? What does the mosquito... Stop it. Mm -hmm. Stop it. You say you care about the planet. Stop it. And so what they've done is they didn't kill the mosquitoes. They made them into super mosquitoes. (laughs) But don't worry. Ah, Giant robots are not going to vaporize all of us. No. Uh, Also, there's a story yesterday that I I just... I have to get to. And that is a story on Taylor Swift. Yeah, she's the one that I think is going to fix all this for us. Really? She's brilliant. Uh I I think you know... If there's one thing you know about about Taylor... Yeah. She's... It's her genius. (laughs) Well... It's her genius. Her sheer unadulterated I would genius. Now this may come as a shock to you but I don't uh-huh. think she's that smart. What? Yeah, I don't think she's that oh, smart. Oh wow. Yeah. Now I have wow. a I have a reason for that but I want to hear the story. Well, first. yeah, she's obsessed now with defeating Republicans. Mm. She's decided that her <laughs> political inactivity was a was a bad thing. Now she she thought there would be a backlash if she got into these races back in 2016 cuz mm. she saw some of the you know, some of the celebrities that went with Hillary, it, back, it backfired on Hillary. Yeah, yeah. She didn't want to do any of that. Uh, but now she's decided that Republicans are so racist and so awful that she must jump jump into this fight. And, oh, thank goodness and for And help Taylor defeat Sw- them. Yeah. Yeah, thank goodness for She her. said there's nothing, there's literally nothing worse than white supremacy. Nothing? Murder? Is mur- murder? <laughs> I did, genocide? Yeah, well, I, genocide is usually caused by white supremacy <laughs> yes, it unless is. it's done... Uh, unless it's done in uh, China by Mao, right? In much or greater. or uh, or I, Mugabe, Robert Mugabe. Mugabe, yeah, you know, in Africa. But it's usually white supremacy, <laughs> just under a name of like black supremacy. But she talks about how how great it was <clears throat> under Obama, mm-hmm. and we they were so excited to have this dignified person of the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was excited to vote for him, and now yeah. it's all backfired with this oh, awful boy. person in office, and she's going to mm-hmm. work as hard as she possibly can. To defeat him. Hope she saved her money. Uh, me too. Hope she saved her money. Because you've just cut, you cut your audience in half. Congratulations on that, Taylor. And, Taylor, yeah. it's not like... Uh, it's, it's, it, it's really not like uh, you have anything really going for you when it comes to politics. I don't know if you know this, but you don't, you don't really have anything going for you at all. Uh, including and especially maybe in the brain department, I was at a I was at a private concert of with Taylor Swift. She was the she was the act that came on stage. This was the time 100 most influential people. So you could go all the 100 people could go and, and you could mm-hmm. take a guest. And I was one of the 100 most influential people that year. And uh, Bill Clinton was there. Elton John was there. Elizabeth Warren was there. Van Jones was there. It was it was all the people that 
you know, I feel really uh, comfortable around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, and and it was like so it was like 99 people and me <laughs> and their guests. Uh, and uh, wow. uh, so Taylor Swift takes the stage. Now, it's not even like a stage. She's just standing in front of the crowd and everybody's sitting in these, you know, at these tables. So she is literally like five feet away from Elton frickin John. Okay. Hmm. And I would, you know, I would think if I'm, if I'm a performer, I'm a little nervous in front of Elton John, but you're Taylor Swift. So what do you care? So she, she gets up and she, she sings this love song and, uh, she stops and she said, you know, I've been thinking and I have, it's only a theory, but I have a theory that love songs are really just poetry set to music. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's powerful. I, I sat there and, wow. and, the, the, and, and I, I know this is demeaning to think, but it was appropriate at the moment. All I thought was, oh, sweetheart, shut up and sing. <laughs> just sing, sweetie. Just sing. Elton John, I can't imagine. Like, and she kind of, she sat there like, yeah. <laughs> waiting for somebody to <laughs> I, I can't even imagine what elton john no that's not a theory that's actually what they all are i, I don't know if you know and that. everybody's known that since the dawn <laughs> yeah, of time right you know so... bernie bernie toppin he writes poetry <laughs> and i set it to music that's kind of the deal taylor so i'm glad that she's politically active politically now. active now because yeah. uh I have this I have this theory <laughs> that money can be used to buy things. <laughs> wow. Wow. Jeez. Wow, that it is just brought a tear to my <laughs> eye. <laughs> I had never looked wow. at it that way. Um all right, there's a <clears throat> couple of other things um that I think we should get to and that is Ilana Mar. We have another Ilana. Do we have the music? Because I think we need the the Alanomar music. There are two stories uh, on Alanomar today. The first one comes from the New York Post, and so let's let's start with this one. Alanomar, Alanomar, Alanomar. According to the New York Post, a Washington, D.C. mom says her political consultant husband left her for Representative Elon Omar. Now, she has filed for divorce, and the Post, <laughs> the Post has obtained that file. Uh, Dr. Beth Minette says her cheating spouse, Tim Minette, told her in April that he was having an affair with a Somali-born U.S. representative and that he made a shocking declaration of love for the congresswoman before he ditched his wife. Uh, the physician, 55, and her 38-year-old husband. Well, that's the problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Growing up, Pat, did you ever say, I want to be married to some 55-year-old woman? <laughs> no, I didn't right? actually, no. No, that's no. not the dream of any young boy. That's Strangely, the- I am, though, right now. <laughs> Strangely, right now. yes. Yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, The physician, 55, 38-year-old husband uh, who worked for left-wing Democrats such as Omar and, shockingly, her Minnesota predecessor, Keith Ellison, who also happens to be the attorney general in Minnesota. Uh, She said that they split 
the defendant met Omar while she was uh, while he was working for her. Although devastated at the time by betrayal and deceit that preceded his abrupt declaration, uh, the defendant loved him and was willing to fight for the marriage. However, the uh, the guy said, "That's not really an option for me, sweetheart," and uh, he left. Now. She has paid Tim Minette, this this young squeeze of, of hers, <laughs> approximately $230,000 during the campaign since 2008 for fundraising consulting. I, I don't know how you make $230,000 uh, $230, for this. Uh, for instance, if you look at other candidates... Uh, of the same kind of size, they've paid consultants in the neighborhood of forty bucks. <laughs> uh, so uh, something's going on now. Uh, Beth Minette said she is asking for primary custody of her children because of his extensive travel with Omar, which isn't part of his job description. She said um, uh, he used to work very, very long hours. Uh, bet he did. Yeah, I bet. I bet he did. Uh, he was preoccupied and emotionally volatile. Uh, mm. The problem that she really has, and this says something about uh, Elon Omar, when she went on a, a business trip herself, Tim finally found himself not traveling that week, <laughs> and uh, he went out to dinner at the couple's favorite restaurant. I mean, Tim and his wife, their favorite restaurant, Elon with the kids. So it was Tim oh. and Elon Omar oh, with wow. his kids while mom is out of town. And then he says, you know what? Why don't we all go back to the house? She thinks that might have been an error in judgment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. Huh. Now, something has <laughs> happened to uh, her new boyfriend. Uh, he is kind of... Uh, kind of moved in now and uh, he's occupying Elon Omar's husband's space because she was married at the time too uh-huh. but the husband of Elon Omar has recently lost his political job wait until you hear the details of that story Jeez. coming up Elon Omar You know, um, and maybe we should start a new segment on those things that just really feel good, uh, and and maybe you know, like guilty pleasures. You know, like getting up in the middle of the ice cream uh, in the middle of the night and having a bowl of ice cream. Uh, it it shouldn't feel good, but it <laughs> does feel really good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the EPA. Trump has said to the EPA that they needed to slap San Francisco with some violations related to their homeless uh, populations. Um, <laughs> he has uh, he's told the uh, Environmental Protection Agency uh, to give San Francisco notice related to the tremendous amount of pollution floating into the ocean from the city's storm tr- uh, sewers. Um, you know, hypodermic needles are littered in the sewers there. They're polluting the sea. Uh, and he said, "There's a terrible situation <laughs> in Los Angeles and San Francisco, and we need the." And EPA. there is, yeah. 
an EPA disaster. Right, and they have to clean it up. We can't have our cities going to hell. Now, <laughs> so great. Yeah, I mean, I don't That's like great. it, but it it's like a big slice of chocolate cake in it's the middle of the night. It's why he got elected. <laughs> yes, it is. You're listening to Glenn Beck.